Alrighty, good morning everyone. Welcome to the Modcast. I'm your host, Chris Perry, with your co-host, Tyler Betson. Tyler, what kind of animal do you feel like today? Um, I'm looking at what it's called. Uh, here it is. Wow. Okay, so I'm looking at the list of the top 10 pygmy animals. Okay. And today I'm going to go with the pygmy marmoset. Okay, I'm looking this up right now. The world's smallest monkey. Oh. Body length of 5.5 to 6.3 inches. They only weigh about half an ounce. Half an ounce? Well, that's Look a at these little bigger. buddies. Yeah. They're adorable. Imagine this, man. Like, I imagine them just like you getting attacked by like a, an army of these. I don't know why. I was going to ask, how many of those do you think you could fight off realistically with no weapons? Well, okay, when I learned the, the fact that monkeys or uh, primates are... Some of them, depending on the weight they get to, can be like as strong as four humans, mm-hmm. four size males. I was like, oh my gosh! So these things, like, well, have you have you seen the movie? Uh, what's it called? Nope. Yet, I don't believe I have. No. Okay. Well, spoiler in there. There's a monkey and it kills people. Nope. Well, anyway, like they literally can like rip people's limbs off, which is crazy to me. So. I imagine I would not want to mess with these because, like, they might have force enough to, like, pull your ear off or something, and their agility's got to be ridiculous being that small. That's fair. But, like, still, how many do you think you could fight off, though? Oh, man, before I die? Yeah. I'd probably, like, you know, fight off at least, like, 15 or 20 of them, but, you know, I think after that I'd be overtaken. At half an ounce, though? That's at birth. Oh. I think, like, a full-size one, they get to be, like, a couple pounds. I mm, let me see because I think I could fight off like at least 75 on a good day. I wish we could like test this. Oh, wow. Okay, never mind. So, the the top weight they get, get this ready three Mm -hmm. and a half ounces. Oh, dude, yeah, yeah. So, that's like fighting off like you know, servings of a chicken breast over and over again. You're fighting off a tangerine. Like, you could power punch so many of those. How many tangerines can you take in a fight? (laughs) No, I think you can do more than that, man. You got to believe in yourself. You're right. right. You know, I just, I've never been in a position where I've been attacked by, you know, small marmosets. So. But these are things you have to consider in life, man. You never know what's going to happen. What if Jumanji occurs? Then what do you do? You know, that's probably one of my deepest fears is like Jumanji actually happening. Yeah. I feel like it's a rational fear to have. Yeah, because, I mean, that that gets really intense, especially the new Jumanjis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing compares to the OG, though. It's phenomenal. You're just, my you're just sitting there, and all of a sudden you get eaten by a hippo. Like, that's not something I enjoy. Not at the top of my to-do list, you know? Yeah. What, what do you feel like today? I feel like a blue-eyed spotted couscous. That sounds like a, a food. It does. I, I, I'm thinking couscous is a food. So blue-eyed spotted couscous. It's C-U-S-C-U-S. Um, oh gosh. They're they're distinctly pale and have blue eyes. So where do you find these rats at? <laughs> it's a gift. Yeah, it really must be. What in the world? Yeah, pale and blue eyes. It is me. Oh wow! Very little is known about their ecology. Yeah, I can see, like, it just looks like another... They're critically endangered. I'm not surprised. They look kind of slow. Well, 
I'm pretty good at picking these for a reason. Yeah. These look very unintelligent. Yeah. Yeah. Like these look like they need to be fed by somebody else to survive. <laughs> that's why they're critically endangered. They don't, they don't have an assistant. Like this one I'm looking at is like holding a star fruit and it looks like somebody gave it to it and it's like really happy about it. It's like the first time it's eight in years. <laughs> it's like kind of cool thinking. though. I kind of want yeah. one. See, a lot of these animals, like it's it's crazy to know how many animals and species exist. That we just know nothing about. Well, we're learning about them and we're educating others. In my head, there's only like 18 animals out there that exist. But in reality, there are thousands. I haven't been to a zoo in a while, but every time I go to a zoo, like I feel like there's like a new animal that they just like randomly brought in there. I'm like, dropped. This? They just released yeah. this thing that came out recently. Yeah. Yeah. Check out this. I remember one time I went to a zoo as a field trip in elementary school. Mm -hmm. And uh, the anaconda or not the anaconda like the giant bow constrictor like escaped and i remember we were all like seven eight years old and we're at the zoo and i remember like one of the zookeepers came out and you know they're they're very calm about it they're like everybody we need you to go ahead and get in this room one of our animals has escaped so we go into like this little glass door room and uh sure enough you see this like 20 foot long snake just slithering by and they, you know, capture it and put it back in its pen. But I'm like, how in the world did this get out? And like, nobody noticed who got, I want to know who got fired for that. You know, I mean, like this thing was huge. Like, I mean, it was like the biggest snake they had. And I mean, it was in like an uh, aquarium, but it was like, you could see that it was supposed to be in like a tree. And it seems like it just like said, all right, well, I'm going to go exploring today. And nobody bothered to like stop it. Can you imagine, can you imagine being the worker who's in charge and you walk over to like the, terrarium it's in and then you just go oh shit and like, like realize it's not in there <laughs> the alarm we're like oh man it's it's children's zoo travel day and it's like they're like it's like and then you have to like <laughs> your supervisor and you're like hey nancy i hate to be that guy but the you know i lost him he's gone the anaconda is he, gone. he dipped i don't know what to do <laughs> can you imagine like dude you would that would i couldn't have i don't know if you could be more embarrassed in your life or like when you apply for your next job and they ask why you got let go of your last one, you're like, I lost an entire anaconda during a school field trip of these kids coming. You're just like a lot, you're a flight risk at that point. Yeah, that's like a very interesting experience. You're probably not going to get hired at a zoo ever again. You're going to have to go work at like Best Buy. Yeah, that's that's a Best Buy transition for sure. Definitely. Well, Tyler, what we're we talking about today. So. Today's topic is something I think is very important that many people forget about, um, which is recovery, mm -hmm. recovery from training, how to go about it. And, you know, we could put this into many different um, topics. So, I mean, we've got massage work, we've got chiropractor work, we've got um, generally just resting and sleeping. We've got taking extra rest days, we've got deloads all sorts of things we're going to be talking about today. Mm -hmm. So to start off, I believe that everybody should really pay attention to their recovery and all stages of fitness, mm -hmm. whether you're just beginning or you're an advanced bodybuilding athlete, you need to make sure to take care of your body or it is going to catch up to you in the long run. So, you know, 
we're doing this crazy stuff, man. You know, some of us are lifting up towards 600, 700 pound deadlifts. We're squatting 400 plus pounds. Imagine the trauma that's doing to your body over time if you do not take care of it. So, so question, how do we, what's the easiest way to assess recovery? How do you know if you're recovering properly? Can you hear me? Um, yeah, I would say it's based a lot on your biofeedback. So mm -hmm. if you are feeling like extremely sore after a training session, you're not getting good sleep. Um, you are doing your reps and feeling pain in the joints or anything of the sort, I would say it's a good time to start investing more into your recovery tactic techniques. So this could include stuff like massage, um, chiro work, which are the two, in my opinion, we should start off with because th those can make a huge difference in how you perform, how much you can grow, how your body responds in all aspects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think both of those, I think in unison are very important. I would say that if you're going to get, and this is just what my chiropractor told me, he's like, if you're going to get work done by me, you also need to be getting massage work done because though I can alleviate pressure and reset you, ultimately our muscles work basically like a whole framework of tension, right? So if you have a muscle that's tight, that's stuck or knotted or whatever it may be, ultimately you're going to, those muscles are going to end up pulling you back into the position you started in. So it's like you need to get adjusted, but then have everything around it as far as from a muscular standpoint also broken up and free to actually make the Cairo work worthwhile. See, I, I always tell people I would recommend doing a chiropractor and finding a good sports chiropractor. That's the most important part. Yes. I've had people go to, you know, a regular family chiropractor and it's like they'll tell them they need to have eight sessions within like a, a month period. And in my opinion, that's that's a scam for chiropractic. You want to find somebody who generally works with athletes who wants you to come in there, figure out about activation techniques, take care of you and make sure that you're not having to come back every week. I would recommend finding somebody where their goal is to have you come back every month or every two weeks based on your your personal goals. Yeah. Because it's, you know, recovery is important, but you're not trying to find somebody who wants you just to pay extra money for extra treatment whenever it's not necessary. Absolutely. And and as far as that goes with like if you're getting deep tissue work, what do you advise as far as, because I always tell my athletes, the day you get deep tissue work, you should probably likely take the following day off at least is what yeah, I usually like I to would do. Say, I would say take at least 24 hours off of training after getting a deep tissue massage because you got to remember your muscles are extremely loose now and that's a, a really bad concoction and to get an injury is going into the train there with so loose, especially, you know, you're also losing a lot of water and you can actually get dehydrated from the massage. So you need to take that time to actually drink extra water mm -hmm. to make sure that you can go back to training properly. And there's also an opportunity to like get rhabdomyolysis too. Cause you got to think this deep tissue work in certain regards will break down some muscle tissue. And it's like, if you just go in the gym the next day and break it down even more, yep. it's a lot for your kidneys to have to process. Exactly. And, you know, th there's ways to strategically do this. So I would say see a Cairo at least once a month. Mm -hmm. If you're able to afford it, I would go get a massage every two weeks. Yep. Um, so here in Lexington and even, you know, I have surrounding state people come in and they go to arena chiropractic. 
and that's who I've always recommended in Lexington. Uh, they've got three doctors there. They've got Rebecca Skilgen, uh, Brian Arena, and Drew Steeringer, and all of them are, you know, athletes themselves. Brian and Rebecca both do strongman, and I believe Drew is into Olympic lifting, mm -hmm. but they all know what this requires, what you need to be able to do. And they work with each athlete on, you know, activation drills, making sure that everything is in line. And those are the important things you need to think about whenever you're going to see a chiropractor. Do they align with your goals? Yeah. Are they just somebody that's going to tell you like, hey, you need to come keep seeing me. And they aren't going to teach you, you know, how to prevent. Mm hmm what's going on. We, we want to be proactive about this. We don't want you to have to continuously go see somebody because you're injured. We want you to prevent the injury. Yeah. A lot of this is, is needed to be proactive. Right. And so the thing I always tell my athletes when it comes to fatigue, everything we're doing in day-to-day -day life is accumulating some amount of fatigue. Training fatigues your body. Cardio fatigues your body. Dieting fatigues your body. Your day-to-day -day stress fatigues your body. And we all have basically what I call like you have an allotted amount of fatigue that your body can tolerate and, and work through. And I treat it like a line of credit. Once you overdraw, it is an uphill battle to dig out of the, to crawl out of the hole that you've dug. Right. Yeah. So I'm for like, I used to be under the impression as most of us have in bodybuilding or training that more is more. If I do more volume, if I train more frequently, I'll grow more. And that's simply not the case. I can say the times that I trained six days a week and did 20 to 30 sets per workout, I stayed about 180 pounds for a reason. You know, it wasn't until I altered my training style and now I train four to five days a week and I'm only doing six to eight maximal effort sets per workout that I grow a lot more efficiently. But it takes time for people to learn that. But people also don't realize you aren't growing when you're in the gym. You're doing the damage when you're in the gym. It's the time in between those sessions that your body's rebuilding the damage that you've done. Building muscles adaptation, you have to let your body have time to adapt to what you've presented it as far as training stimulus goes, as far as the, what the workout itself, you have to let it, it takes time for your body to adapt from that before you can go ahead and damage it again. Yeah, that that's exactly right. You grow when you're resting. Mm -hmm. You are, that's, that's whenever your body is actually growing new muscle tissue or even burning fat is when you're resting. So you know, I, I used to be one of those back in the day when I first started that I thought I needed to train every day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that eventually burned my body into the ground. And I was severely in pain when I would do movements like squats or uh, presses. Like, I remember I felt like I had knives in my knees at one point, man. And I remember this was before I started my prep in uh, 2017. Mm -hmm. I remember, like, if I would do a squat movement it was like unbearable pain to the point where like I could not even do any leg movement. So I was not able to get my legs to grow. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, I had a few people recommend going to see a chiropractor to me. And I was like, okay, finally gave it a shot. Like four months later after, you know, trying everything else I thought was going to work. Mm -hmm. I remember I learned that my left oblique was not even activated or firing. So whenever mm -hmm. I was doing my squat movements, a lot of my weight was distributed distributed unevenly mm -hmm. and I was putting all that pressure on my right knee. Mm -hmm. So what was happening there is causing severe pain in my knees yeah. because I was so lopsided when I was training. So I had to go there. They worked on me um, every two weeks initially 
and they gave me activation drills, you know, where I was doing stuff to activate my glutes, my hips, um, making sure to do things to activate my hamstrings before I went into my actual squats. Mm -hmm. Well, I had to restart my entire squat completely. Yep. You know, I went from squatting upwards towards like 455 pounds to having to start back down at 95 pounds. Mm -hmm. And I slowly progressed that back up with proper technique and proper form. But I had no pain anymore because I was doing that recovery work. Yeah. I, I had a similar thing happen to me, man. So 2000 and. 15 rolling into 2016 i i looked back in my log books not that long ago i took two rest days the entire year of 2015 because i didn't know what a rest day was i didn't think i needed to i thought i was bulletproof because i was like 17 years old and so i threw shot put and discus and and hammer in high school and so my senior year of high school i was so obsessed with obviously trying to maintain a certain body image and everything else that i was training two or three times a day every day I would train before I went to school, I'd go to track practice, I would throw, and then I would train at night before I, like, after I got it done with all my stuff, my, you know, homework and whatnot. And I did that all year. And so my left knee, because that was the knee that I was driving off of for my throws, hurt worse and worse and worse as I went. I was doing Olympic lifting, I was squatting, I was doing everything. I was basically trying to combine powerlifting, Olympic lifting, bodybuilding, and throwing all at the same time. And... I had a similar issue where I had a hip imbalance. And so I was loading whenever I'd squat, I was loading a majority of my weight on my left leg, right? And that was the same knee that I was throwing off of. And I would go into the gym, dude, and I would do like German volume training and all this crazy shit, right? And so it finally got to the point, I just thought it was tendonitis. So I was living off of like 1,000 milligrams of ibuprofen every single day. And I, would, I literally got to the point, man, where I would have to put a knee sleeve on first thing in the morning and start to warm up my knee before I could actually get out of bed and bend it. So I developed patellar tendonitis so bad it actually turned into patellar tendinosis that turned into patellar tracking syndrome. So basically I developed so much inflammation and scar tissue that my kneecap couldn't move properly anymore. So then I had to take seven months off and do physical therapy for seven months to fix my knee. And like have, I had to scrape it and break up the scar tissue and it was disgusting. I had to learn all this mobility stuff and how to engage my, say, my adductors, my glutes, my obliques, fix my imbalances. And it was all these things that could have easily been prevented if I just listened to my fucking body. Yeah. Right? That's the thing. It's like I will always recommend people to go see a specialist when it comes to, um, you know, taking care of their body with these type of techniques. So – you know, I have people I send them to a Cairo. I have people I send them to massage therapists. Mm -hmm. I have people where I send them to a physical therapist. Mm -hmm. Everything has their part. As a coach, I can't do everything. Nope. You know, and, and people need personalized help with these things. And that's why you have these professionals that do these. Like, if somebody is recovering from an injury, we're going to send them to a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. If somebody we want them to prevent injury, we're probably going to send them to a chiro or a um, massage specialist that can actually help somebody that is an athlete, mm -hmm. which is very important because unfortunately, a lot of massage places, man, I, it's taken me a long time to find a good massage therapist. I don't know how many horrible ones I've went through where it's just like I go in there and it's like, you know, they're barely putting any pressure on there. 
um, it, it's basically me wasting my money, in my opinion. It's taken and, me six total to find, yeah. find a good one out here. And I still have not found it. Like my myself one in Lexington. I know Laura has a good one. Mm -hmm. uh, Arena Chiropractic actually offers that. But um, I've had to send a lot of people to Louisville. And they'll go to uh, Cheyenne Marts, which is um, Alchemy Massage Therapy. Mm -hmm. And I've had people drive from Indiana and Ohio to go to her because it's it's worth the travel to have somebody that actually knows what you need as an athlete. So if you're looking for a massage therapist, don't be afraid to, you know, try different people out until you find the one that's right for you. Because mm -hmm. it's it's very, very hard to find somebody that actually knows how to work on bodybuilders or powerlifters or strongman. Yeah, yeah. I've found I found uh, Blake. He's the owner of Tennessee Massage Collective. So if you're in the middle Tennessee area, he's who I recommend to and all of the people that work yeah. underneath him. Um, but he competes. He's, com he's a bodybuilder. So he understands how to approach everything and like – He's also big enough that he can actually work on me because I have with with how my upper back is and my scapula, especially how much knotted up scar tissues in there. It takes a pretty big person digging their elbow through there to break everything up. Yep. So for me, he's worthwhile. Like I don't again, these are these are what I deem necessary investments. I don't care how much it costs if it works and it makes me feel better and I can continue to perform. So that's kind of one thing that I think is like proactive and reactive in certain ways as far as like Cairo and massage therapy, but it's definitely worth doing and, and staying on top of. And then looking at from like a training perspective, like knowing when to pull back is obviously like we talked about with biofeedback, right? So one thing I also tell people too, from like a psychological standpoint, if you get to the point where you are just dreading a workout, like you're having to overdose on caffeine to even feel like a functioning human, you're probably at the point where you're, you're overreaching, you're doing a little too much. Um, and also one point too is like digestion. If your digestion just randomly goes to hell, it's usually another sign potentially you're doing a little too much. So this is where there's a lot of different approaches, right? So we kind of talked briefly before this about your stances on what you would do if you have a, someone overreaching or even for yourself. And I have my stances as well. So kind of what are your thoughts from a training so, standpoint? So I'm a big fan of like, you know, I don't really believe much in like deloads. I think, you know, to a point still training, even, you know, a half of the, the percentage that you would normally be training at with half the intensity, you're still training. You're not really giving yourself a complete break. Mm -hmm. So whenever I have clients and athletes check in with me and their biofeedback is, you know, they're not recovering, they're very sore, um, you know, I'm a big fan of making people just take extra rest days. Mm -hmm. And this could be, you know, two to seven days straight off of training. I've even had some people occasionally take an entire month off of training just to fully recover. Yeah. And this has done wonders. And it really depends on the situation. But I, I found, you know, for myself, sometimes whenever I'm just super sore, you know, that having that swing day where I'm just like, you know what, I'm not going to train on Saturday or Sunday this week. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to eat my diet and relax. Yeah. And, then, you know, by Monday, normally I am good to go. Yeah, that, that has been my philosophy for as long as I can remember, because I used to take, you know, a, a different approach to it and I would still train. And I just did not notice for myself that I ever really fully was able to get back into it like I am with rest days. Yeah. And, and I see where you're coming from. I think it is. And obviously it's case by case and you have to kind of learn what's best for you in certain regards. I think and I've used a lot of different approaches. I've tried a deload. So a deload can be viewed as a lot of different things, but primarily what I've 
interpreted it as and seen it as is basically you're going to take your workout and the weights that you usually use and either cut the load, meaning the weight itself. So let's say you're bench pressing and you're usually using 225. You're going to cut it down to maybe 135 and you're going to perform the same amount of reps. So if you've got, if you last week you did one set of 10 at 225, this week you're going to do one set of 10 at just 135. So it's going to be, it's going to be easier, right? You're not going to expend as much effort. So this is how you're reducing the load, meaning the weight, the total amount of weight you're moving throughout a workout. So that's one approach. The approach that I like to use is what's called a devolume phase, right? And this is something that I can use on myself because I train low volume as it is, but I can catch it early, right? This is kind of my way to preemptively catch if I'm starting to feel like I'm overreaching. So the way that I notice if I'm starting to overreach Usually it is even a biofeedback thing as much as it's I'm seeing the logbook start to slow down progression, right? Like there's usually a pretty standard trajectory once I catch my stride in my training sessions where it's like I know roughly how much I'm going to pro- progress week to week. And if I start to notice that either I'm not progressing on every lift or maybe it's only a certain amount compared to what it's been or I'm not progressing at all or even r- rarely regressing, at that point, I can say, okay, now it's time for me to devolume. So what I'll do, let's say for a leg day, for example, if I'm doing six total working sets, right, where a working set to me is maximal effort, that is my scoreboard. Every warm-up set leading up to it does not matter to me because I'm not going maximal effort. I only track the two sets for each exercise that are maximal effort, and I work in an allotted rep range. What I'll do is I will still do... Basically, what I'll do is I, I let's say for Cybex hack squats, for example, what I do right now is I do a top set, max effort set of eight to 12 reps, and then I will do a back down set where I'm aiming for about 20 reps. So what I will do is I will still do my first set where I'm trying to still beat that of eight to 12, but I won't do my back down set of 20. And then yeah. for like stiff legged deadlifts, I will do a top set again of probably about six to 10 and then a back down set of 15, I'll just do my top set of 6 to 10. So I'm reducing a lot of the volume, relatively speaking, since I'm doing low volume. I'm basically cutting it in half. I'm doing one max effort set per exercise. So I'm cutting my workload down in that sense, but it still keeps me accu- acclimated to the heavy weight. Yeah. And I'll just do that for like a week maybe and then move back. And if that doesn't kind of help me kind of keep moving, taking that half a step back, then I'll do – something in your case where I'll just take two or I'll probably take three, three or four days off, but I'll still eat my training day diet to make sure that I have enough calories to continue the recovery process through that. Yes. Yeah. That's the thing is people need to remember when you're recovering, you still need to eat. Yeah. Um, and that, that's super important. I, I do say that there's one thing I do like to do, especially if somebody's in contest prep or like in a deep fat loss phase is I will switch their training from, you know, something with high intensity to more straight sets. So I will take out, you know, supersets, drop sets, and any intensifiers. And I may switch somebody, you know, to just straight sets of eight to 10, where they are able to, you know, control the weight and keep the muscle mass. And I think that that is an important tactic I do use a lot in contest prep that I'd say the last four weeks mm-hmm. is, you know, I may have somebody where they're doing a hypertrophy style phase where we're really pushing, you know, supersets, drop sets, very, very intense workouts, you know, to burn calories and really, you know, keep muscle mass. But then 
there's a point where body's going to start fighting you. You're going to be have more chance of injury. So I think it's very important to drop that training intensity down a little further and main, focus on maintaining the muscle mass rather than pushing harder. Yeah, because at a certain point, you're not going to grow, right? But in the yeah. whole idea too, and people don't realize if you're fatigue is too high your body's producing a lot of stress hormones so you're producing cortisol you're producing aldosterone so basically you're going to retain a lot more fluid so it's from a prep standpoint it's going to be a little bit more difficult to navigate what's fat and what's water but if your cortisol stays super high then your insulin sensitivity starts to slow down and if that slows down you're more susceptible to just retaining more body fat right okay. so it's like you're almost it's almost counterintuitive to a certain point to continue to try to beat the ever living shit out of yourself. That's like, why you see so many people and they'll, you know, take two rest days whenever they're in a deep fat loss phase and they'll lose three or four more pounds. Yeah. And it's like, it's basically like doing the opposite of what you were doing, you know, going less cardio, more food and uh, less intense training. And it's going to be creating a better response. Like focusing on something just like sleep, man, becomes so important whenever you're trying to recover. I think that's one of the things that holds people back the most I've prescribed for people to take, I've literally put naps in people's plans. When I was prepping Nathan last year, of course he came to me in poor circumstances, but like when this, when he came to me, he was eight weeks out and already had peeled glutes. Like he was way too far ahead and he was eating 800 calories a day when he came to me, um, from the previous coach. And so I was having to reverse diet him, but something I put in his plan was like, you are sleeping seven hours a night minimum, and you are taking an hour nap a day minimum. I do not care, right? And that's what we did to try to keep him rolling to make sure that we could keep recovery as good as we could at that point, just to try to land the plane and make get him to show day, right? Yeah. So people don't realize that. Like, we, we used it too, man. Like, we were using the Stairmaster for a long time during prep, and then we finally got to the point where we could both see that my body was not responding to it. We swapped over to the recumbent bike and it was like I dropped like four pounds that week because my yeah. body could finally breathe again. I have a great example just this past week, you know, Aaron Rose, uh, he's prepping for Kentucky Open. And, you know, I gave him two refeed days this weekend mm -hmm. and you know, he responded really well to those. And then yesterday he checked in with me and he was like, you know, still kind of uh, he was up in weight, which is fine. But he told me he only got four and a half hours of sleep. So you know what? I could have easily you know, dropped his food or pushed him harder, but all I told him to do is I want you to sleep as much as you possibly can tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Well, he slept like 11 hours, woke up at a new low today. Yeah. And looked like insane. And I was like, that's what you needed. You just needed to sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's sleep ultimately is the most important thing. There's not a drug or any other modality on this planet that can replicate the importance of good quality sleep, like getting good REM sleep, right? Yep. You can't beat it. You can't, there's a reason we need sleep, right? And there's, you can see when, there's this term we use when you see a competitor on stage who just looks, their physique looks tired, where you can yeah. tell they beat themselves in the dirt up until show day versus kind of what most people use as the approach is you trying to kind of beat them into the dirt up until two or three weeks out, then you feed them up and let them relax and then their body comes back to life, right? Yeah, that's that's the key thing is like you you can get so much more progress by sometimes listening to what your body's telling you. And especially um, I found this necessary in female preps. Females, you can't just push them in the ground. You know, you can't just sit there and up fat burners and increase cardio constantly and expect them to just, you know, drop weight. Sometimes the best results I've seen have been for me being like, all right, let's refeed two days. 
or mm-hmm. refeed even three to four consecutive days and take more rest. Like I'll drop out cardio completely for those four days. And all of a sudden that person's like completely revived. And then we see new lows again when previously the body wasn't responding at all. Yeah. I think that's the best approach. I'll basically do the same thing where, um, I'll, you know, potentially do two, usually it's two refeed days where I'm doing higher carbs, lower fats, slightly lower protein and five or two. And on the second refeed, I'll usually do a burger and fry meal as well. But during those two days, I lower step expenditure and I usually lower cardio as well. And usually pull out, like if they're taking a fat burner, I pull that out entirely to let their body fill out, which is the purpose of it. And then we re-implement as needed. And you always see like a very quick drop. That's one thing, man, I've noticed too, what you said was like you dropped the fat burners down. Well, the, the people don't understand you cannot rest and recover when your CNS is active. And by taking stuff like caffeine or stimulants, you're activating your central nervous system. Mm-hmm. So whenever you're activating your central nervous system, when you're trying to rest or recover, you know, sleep, it's not going to be deactivated. You want to be in your parasympathetic nervous system to actually recover and rest. So when you're not allowing that process to happen, you're preventing yourself from getting full recovery. So sometimes it's very important to drop down stuff like caffeine, stimulants. I had a client, you know, her last prep, we figured out she was drinking like one gram of caffeine a day. So a thousand milligrams of caffeine. Yeah. And I told her, let's drop that down to 200. Mm -hmm. She dropped like four pounds in a week. Yep. Yep. It's common, man. People don't realize like how, like obviously we, a lot of us use caffeine. I actually had a client reach out to me and he was like, it, would it be beneficial for me to use caffeine? Cause I don't use it. And I was like, don't, if you don't like, don't <laughs> like, don't get into this game, buddy. If you don't on, on the other end, man, I think it it can be useful. Like I've had some people where I told them don't use caffeine until eight weeks out in prep. Oh and yeah. Then use, and then we'll use caffeine as actual, like, you know, kind of like a cheat code in a way. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, but previously they weren't using any type of caffeine and now all of a sudden they're, they're using that caffeine to their advantage. Mm-hmm. So I think both ways that we just talked about, like, you know, it's sometimes caffeine can be the enemy, but sometimes you can use a light amount of it, especially if your receptors are ready for it. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm not talking like, Hey, go from zero milligrams to 500, but I'm talking like go from zero to a cup of black coffee. You're probably going to see some pretty solid results. Yeah. And that comes down to moderation and application of it too. Right. Yes. You know, where it's like, there's a difference of like, if you're, if you've got a, if you've got a cup, right. And you're trying to pour a gallon of water in it, you know, you're only going to fit a cup in there and you're just going to make a mess. It's the same idea with caffeine. It's like, realistically, science shows how much you show yields a positive benefit. And anything more than that isn't going to yield a more positive benefit. It's going to likely yield a negative benefit, like just about anything else, right? Too much is not a good thing, you know? So, so that, that brings me to something that's kind of an interesting fact. When would you say the best time to cut uh, massage workout, uh, before, you know, competing in a competition would be if it's deep tissue, I'm going to say, I would say three to four weeks. I can, I can agree with that. I've had people cut it out, you know, I'd say 10 to 14 days at Mm -hmm. least. But one thing I will tell people is be very careful. Do not get any deep tissue or cupping work when you are close to show that can leave marks or possibly cause inflammation. So, so that happened to me, this prep. Um, so I think we were, what, 10 weeks out and I went to go meet with a new massage therapist, good friend of mine. I love him to death. He's very talented at what he does. 
but he's not in the bodybuilding realm. He's a he's a world class powerlifter. And I went to lay on his table, and he pulls out everything, and he was like, he's he's like, have you ever been? He started working on me. He's like, man, like because I'm a mess. Like I really don't. For a long time, I didn't do any massage work up until like last year. So I went like nearly ten years without doing massage work. And so he's feeling everything, and he's like, Jesus Christ. And he's he so he, I didn't think, but he pulls out a, a Gratston tool, right? And he starts scraping me, which was unfucking bearable, right? So he scrapes me, he cups me, he cup drags me, he deep tissues me, he does my all my pecs, my biceps, shoulders, upper back, everything, right? And I am just purple and inflamed, like to the point where like blood is protruding in my stretch marks, right? Because he broke every, I mean, dude, it sounded awful. It was just like crunching and everything. I mean, I was having like an out-of-body experience. It was so painful for me. And then the next day, I think I was up like 10 pounds. I'd retained 10 pounds of water. And then, dude, four check-ins, we we were both like, well, we don't know what the fuck to do because you couldn't see anything. I was just a ball of inflammation. And then I couldn't train properly because you were like, hey, you might get rhabdo because he's done so much trauma to your torso and it just like threw us for a whirl. So don't get yeah. scraping done. I was pretty pissed off, man. I remember I was like yelling. You didn't know this, but I was like, why the fuck did this guy do this to him? And I was I was, was too, man. I didn't know what was <laughs> happening. I truthfully, I had no idea what was going to happen. And then I got up and I was just like, I literally got up and looked down. I was like, my coach is going to be pissed. Yeah, I remember I remember sending that to my Cairo and like my massage therapist and I was like, what can I do to get this gone faster? And then they were like both like, oh, my God, what did they do to him? <laughs> I'll have to find pictures. I looked like I got hit by a truck. Like it looked horrendous. I think yeah. it took it probably took a total of a month for all of the bruising to yeah, dude, completely yeah, subside. If we, if we were closer to show, you would have been screwed. Yeah, that would have been it. Like, I feel like that did affect your prep quite a bit. So yeah. that's why I always tell people is be careful of like getting certain types of work done. Like, like I said, don't get cupping done when you're one week out. Cause that's going to show marks you don't. And it's the tan's not going to cover up a deep purple freaking bruise. Yeah. And, you know, don't get Graston work done when you're one week out. This is, this is stuff like Graston and cupping is things I would stick to off season with. Because yeah. you don't have to worry about the, you know those showing on stage, so deep tissue is mostly what I would do if you're in a prep situation, and I think that's what I would stick with off season. You know, you can add in more types of things like, uh, and you know, dry needling is another good one too. Mm-hmm. I get dry needling done sometimes. I don't really like it, but it works. Some I've never tried it, it myself. You know, Rebecca did it on my uh, shoulder the other day. I've had problems with my shoulder with uh, presses for, you know, as long as I can remember. And she did it on my shoulder the other day. And, you know, she whenever she moved around the needles in there when she's about to take them out, I felt like an instant tension relief. Mm. And afterwards, I was like, oh, shit, like I can move this freely. It feels good. That's cool. So it does work. I will say that it is a little strange, Mm -hmm. like. You don't feel the needles going in, but you can definitely like feel an uncomfortable part of them when they come out. Gotcha. Yeah. That's something I, I need, I've looked into as well. I, it's, you know, even if something is like simple as taking Epsom salt baths, right? Like, yeah, that's something I forgot about. I love Epsom salt baths. It doesn't, this doesn't have to be overcomplicated where it's like you have to go from one extreme to no recovery to all of the recovery modalities, but it's like there are simple things that we can do ahead of time to prevent us from hitting the wall because it's like is it worth 
grinding hard and killing it for three weeks to beat the shit out of yourself and have to take either a week or 10 days or even longer off or, you know, God forbid, get hurt and then have to take six, eight, 12 weeks off after that. Like you're not, you're going to take one step forward to take five back when you can learn how to take these little half steps back and forth and kind of continuously trudge along throughout this entire journey. Yeah. I mean, there's small different changes you can do. Like I think, you know, sleep is most important. Always make sure that's first because that's going to help you out. Make sure you're eating for recovery. If you're eating too little, you're not going to recover. If your nutrition does not support your training, you're not going to recover. Make sure to listen to your body. If you are not taking rest days whenever you're needed, then you're definitely going to be working against yourself. There's a point where you can't recover. You know, there's no reason to be training twice a day or training seven times a week. If you are training twice a day or seven times a week, you are not training hard enough on your actual training days. So it's just all stuff to keep in mind. And the more you invest in your recovery, the further you're going to be able to do this with longevity. That's something Mm -hmm. to remember. You know, we don't want somebody to be like, I can't do this anymore because I got a pec tear or I got, um, you know, my quad blew out or something, you know, horrible. We want people to be able to do this for the long term for as sure. best as they possibly can. So if you're proactive about taking care of your body, the longer and better you're going to be able to do the sport that you choose. Yeah. There's a reason there are 60, 70, 80 year olds still training in the gym is because you can do that, right? You can make that happen. It's just a matter of being conscious of when to actually pump the brakes, right? And I think obviously we are in, in a industry in an environment where usually the the concept is grind hard suck it up and it's like yeah to a certain point but there's a there's a caveat to that right i've found for me i've progressed and grown the most as an athlete uh training three to five days a week even like at my strongest i train four days a week because that's what i can recover from why train if i don't need to off season, I think four days is like where I feel my best. Yeah. And it's like, again, like we want to love training too. So it's like, why force yourself to train six days a week? If you only like three of those workouts and got excited for three of them, how about you train three times a week? If that's when you get excited, right? It's like, you don't like nobody's putting a gun to your head and saying, you have to train seven days a week. It's like train five and get really strong during those five workouts. And you will grow pretty quick if everything else is in check. In conclusion, train smarter, not harder. Yes, that is the analogy for today. Any other tidbits of wisdom, Tyler? Um, Wear accessories to oppress women. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so like add like some chains. Uh, I've got two. I wear two. Beanies. Chris has a beanie. Uh, you know, you can do little piercings, earrings, a watch. An Apple Watch, bracelets. <laughs> so yeah, wear accessories. Yeah, get get face tattoos and piercings. They'll love yes. it. And on that note, thank you for <laughs> listening to the Modcast. <laughs> Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs>